Welcome everybody, Stephen Gray here, and you are either watching Stephen Gray Vision YouTube channel, or you are listening to this on Anchor, that's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M, or one of the places it sends its audio podcasts, such as Spotify and iTunes and a couple of others. And uh, we are continuing with this series of interviews, which are uh, the purpose of which is to help uh, educate, help share information and inspiration on what I would argue is the central or most important subject on this planet right now, which is the absolute necessity of a widespread and deep consciousness transformation so that we can put planet Earth or we can do whatever our you know, modest abilities allow us to do to help uh, straighten out the trajectory of uh, human affairs for the generations to come. And in particular, because that's the field that I uh, plow, as it were, uh, uh, we will focus in, we are focusing in this series on the relationship of psychedelic or entheogenic sacred plant medicines uh, and substances to that work, uh, as many of us understand them to be the most powerful uh, uh, medicines or healing and awakening medicines when they are used properly in the right context and so on. And for that purpose, uh, I'm delighted to be interviewing a woman who's doing some fantastic work. <clears throat> uh, excuse me, her name is Laurel Sugden. She's a PhD candidate at and uh, USOMA Institute scholar at the University of British Columbia. That's here, right here, where I am in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Her interdisciplinary work is centered uh, on the San Pedro cactus, also known as Huachuma, um, and the Andean cultures who have been in relationship with this plant for millennia. This year, in partnership with Josip Orlovac del Rio, Laurel co-founded Huachuma Collective, an organization which cares for the biological and cultural sustainability of San Pedro through community-led initiatives. I also want to say that I've known uh, Laurel for a couple of years now. She, as I, as I mentioned there, has been studying in Vancouver and uh, under the tutelage of uh, her advisor, I guess is what you call it, uh, Wade Davis here, the legendary Wade Davis. And Laurel has also spoken at our Spirit Plant Medicine Conference with a, I guess what Laurel, you wouldn't mind my calling a kind of a primer on Huachuma since most people don't actually know much about it up here. And that's a question we're going to talk about as we go, of course. So uh, welcome to our little podcast here. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah. Where are you, by the way? I am in, uh, I'm east of Lima, Peru right now, headed up the Carretera Central uh, into uh, prime wild San Pedro territory. Mm -hmm. Exciting. Um, so let's go back a little, because um, uh, I want to ask you about your work in a moment. But um, w speaking of that work and the PhD that you're doing, uh, what got you interested in that in the first place? And when, when did that, how long ago did that happen? Yeah, well, I think um, it was uh, the same thing that I think got a lot of us started on this path of the visionary plants, which is personal crisis. Um, mm. So you know, in 2016, I, um, you know, was, was going through a breakup and, you know, finish, I just finished my undergrad and it was a very big time of transition. Um, and so it was sort of just this, you know, throw your hands up and go to Peru for a few months and try to figure things out uh, sort of deal. Um, so I wasn't um, looking at all for hallucinogenic brews when I came down here uh, the first time, um, but very quickly um, started hearing about and learning about ayahuasca um, and crossing paths with many people who, who worked with ayahuasca. Um, and, you know, it, after, you know, a few months of traveling and hearing these stories, I was like, wow, maybe, maybe I need to drink this plant. Um, mm. And I tried my darndest. I really did. I tried, you know, um, really tried to make it work with ayahuasca and it didn't. Um, and so it was, it was this very clear moment of, um, you know, feeling a lot of, of walls in that direction and saying, okay, it's not, it's not the time to drink ayahuasca. Um, and it was about um, two weeks before I was gonna leave um, 
Peru and I had gone on this big backpacking trip around um, one of the major mountains, uh, Alzangate, south of Cusco, um, and had just been like snowed on and hailed on and exhausted. And I came back and, and they said, let's go to San Pedro. And I said, what's San Pedro? Um, and so it was a very um, sort of this wonderfully synchronistic um, moment of, of meeting San Pedro um, in, in the, the uh, Lares area of Peru. And, um, you know, it was, it was love at first sip. Hmm. Interesting. Um... Uh, just out of curiosity, before we get too far into this, uh, we'll be we've, we're, we're using and you have so far also used uh, in the bio there, for example, uh, the term San Pedro cactus and Huachuma uh, somewhat inter interchangeably. Um, but I believe you've told me that there's a um, negative connotations also to that word Huachuma. Can you explain a little why? Uh, do you generally prefer to use the word San Pedro and um, uh, what is it about what you, the word Wachuma again? Oh, I don't, I don't see any negative connotation at all um, to Wachuma. Wachuma oh, um, okay. is the Quechua um, word for for the cactus um, in the, the native Indian language. Um, Quechua in this area and Aymara to the south in Bolivia, it's Achuma. Um, but colloquially in Peru, uh, most people use the term San Pedro today. So um, most of the people that you actually hear um, using the term Wachuma uh, are gringos, um, which, you know, it's, it's wonderful um, that we still, that we have that term. And I love the term. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful word. Um, but colloquially in, in Peru, you hear San Pedro more often. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I guess I heard it, maybe it was from Robin and Darcy, that I think they suggested that that word had sometimes been used by non-natives as a kind of a, you know, slur or something against the, you know, looking down on the native people somehow. But yeah, anyway. the, the word wachima means um, uma is head and watch is sort of like, dizzy, borracho, um, drunk. So, uh, um, you know, it's it's sort of, um, you know, if we look at modern day Quechua, it means something like um, a clouded head or a, a dizzy head or, a, you know, even some people translate it as a, you know, you lose your head, um, which uh, is sort of an interesting parallel there too with, um, right. with meditation. Yes, um, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. Um, Tell us um, a little bit about, you know, what what you are doing with your PhD and the research uh, that you're doing down there. And you mentioned a program that you've also co-founded called Huachuma Collective. So would you please describe uh, some of the things that you are doing, uh, what your focus is? Sure, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, that's a big question. So um, right now, my, my PhD um, Fieldwork. I'm in, I'm in year three of my PhD, and so we're really getting going on the ethnobotanical fieldwork. Um, so this, uh, in the next few months here, um, I have the opportunity to uh, travel throughout uh, the north of Peru, um, you know, going to different archaeological sites, taking more than anything, taking botanical collections um, of the plant. You know, when we talk about San Pedro, we're talking about many different species of cactus. Um, so San, San Pedro is sort of this umbrella term for, um, you know, many, several species, um, you know, Echinopsis peruvianus, Echinopsis pachinoi, Echinopsis macrogonis, um, Scrupulicola, um, Sentiensis. So, and then within those, there are also all of these uh, sort of hybrid, um, hybrids that form, uh, they believe, and there's so much variation I was having a little trouble hearing you there. So uh, anyway, uh, you had just been saying, let me let me get back on track with you there. I got a little distracted. Uh, you had just been saying that uh, there are many different words, or pardon me, some, uh, so what, would, what did you call them? Like species within the, the that, the, yeah, that are all, um, that all contain the same alkaloids or are used for the same purposes essentially? Used for the same purposes, um, yes, in many ways. But um, the um, you know the truth is that some of these plants are so different. You know the difference between a a wild plant from Matucana further up the valley from where I am right now, 
um, which is actually I have one right here, just these, these big spiny dragons um, of plants. Um, and the difference between that and a, a cultivated plant with no spines that's more of an, perhaps an Echinopsis pachinoi, um, you would think that they are two different plants, even. You know, you almost wouldn't call them the same um, mm. plant. But the, the physical effects, the mental effects, the, um, the, the spirit of the plant is so diverse. Um, really? Native range in Peru and Ecuador, um, and perhaps down into Argentina and Bolivia as well. Um, so, you know, sun is the umbrella term, they're all, they're all psychedelic cactuses, mm. which contain mescaline, um, hordamine, um, and a whole lot of other um, phenethylamines and, and other, you know, if, if we're just talking about alkaloids, there's a huge diversity and there's very little research um, actually that's happened about the entourage effect. Oh, that's um, really, yeah, that's really interesting. How, how they're working. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't. We're, not talking, we're not talking about alkaloids so much as we're talking about spirits um, and, and plants and beings that live everywhere from um, very high, intense, um, rainy river valleys um, surrounded by lush foliage and flowers um, and ancient stone walls all the way down to the coast that, you know, there's not a single plant growing, um, you know, they're cultivated there. Um, you know, they grow at the edge of the, the ocean in people's gardens and homes um, and have for millennia, um, you know, or, you know, at least, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, and the difference between that plant that, that grows in this, this arid sort of windswept, sandy um, environment right up against the Pacific, this massive biggest body of water on earth you know but just um this with the freezing humble current sweeping up the coast um you know that's that's a different plant uh than these plants you know between the coast and the mountains um you know when we when we talk about the plant spirit it's incredibly um incredibly diverse so i'm just i'm just barely beginning to know um you know the plants the wild plants here, the, um, the plants that are cultivated in Arequipa, um, the wild plants from Chevin, from Waras, from Ancash. Um, so it's, it's, you know, when, when we say, you know, oh, I've drunk San Pedro, you know, I, I, I tried San Pedro, um, you know, yes, yeah, great. Um, you know, and was that, um, you know, which, which San Pedro was that? Which, mm. which, that, which spirit did you work with? Um, mm. as, you know, it was it, um, you know, from somebody's garden cared for with love, um, you know, cooked with love and drunk, or was it, you know, ripped out of the wild by one of these companies packing the plant to pieces and, and powdering it and drying it and shipping it to the United States and calling it San Pedro. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a big question what you know what medicine are you drinking hmm. well i think that's an interesting question for all of these all these plants and perhaps actually all plants that we take as medicine or even food for that matter is you know what is the source what is the connection um uh, I, I mentioned to you in our conversation from a week or so ago i think uh, this book uh, by uh, tyson yunkaporta called sand talk um, from he's an Aboriginal academic and a bunch of other things from Australia, and he was talking about they only eat certain kinds of plants, uh, you know, for food in certain times of the year and certain kinds of conditions because they have different energies and different things like that. But anyway, uh, don't want to go too far in that direction. Uh, I I never did get to hear um, the rest of what I think you were trying to tell us about. Um, your work. What are you actually doing? It sounds like you're just, in one level, you know, from a layperson's, you know, uh, receiving point of view out here in the audience, so to speak, just trying to learn as much as you can about everything to do with Wachuma. But you have a focus as well. You're heading toward a dissertation. And can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, I'm an interdiscipl in the interdis interdisciplinary studies graduate program at UBC. Um, which means I, I get to look at this from all angles. You know, I get um, to look at it from anthropology, from psychology, from botany. Um, you know, I get to do field work that's ethnographic and also botanical. So 
um, you know, really the focus of my research over the last three years um, is being very, um, you know, becoming very evident in this research that I'm um, coming into in the next few months, which is, you know, getting to know these different plants that grow, you know, in, in 52, you know, there are 52 river valleys on, on the coast of Peru and, you know, I mean, wild San Pedro grows in probably two thirds of those. Um, and so getting to know these plants, um, you know, on the, on the one hand, the botanical um, angle of, of botanical collections of, um, we have a wonderful collaboration happening with um, a phytochemist in New York who's gonna analyze the phytochemistry of um, the in vivo, the, the phytochemistry of these living plants and also of the shamanic brews that are cooked with these plants. Um, because the plant undergoes a transformation while it's cooked. Um, so that's the, that's the botanical half. So it's sort of creating this geographic botanical map of what do these plants look like? What's their phytochemistry like? What's, um, you know, what um, are their genetics like? And how, you know, the taxonomy, the, you know, we don't even know what to call these species. Um, you know, different people are, you know, publishing different papers and nobody is agreeing about what really is San Pedro. So, um, this, you know, this research that we're doing over the next few months, hopefully will clarify a lot of that just by creating this large um, botanical pool of many different San Pedro species, all collected, um, you know, by the same person in the same season, um, you know, that will hopefully tell us a little bit more about what this plant is from a botanical and chemical perspective. Hmm. Um, concurrent with that, um, is the ethnographic work. So it's, um, you know, meeting people in the field, it's talking to, um, you know, shamanic practitioners um, and and people who, who work with the plant ancestrally uh, in North Peru, which is sort of the, the epicenter of um, the culture around San Pedro in Peru. So um, it's, it's a very, very interdisciplinary look at the plant which hopefully will you know all come together and in story you know it's it's in in story and in um you know going through these this mythology um you know as it relates to san pedro and the you know the the contemporary relationship with the plant and the ancient relationship with the plant you know we're we're mostly you know in line with my mentor, we do this is work. We're really interested in telling the story of San Pedro. Hmm. What, you know, what is San Pedro's true name? Wonderful. So um, I, here's a bit of a left field question, um, <clears throat> not too seriously out in left field, but uh, have you thought about, <clears throat> excuse me, you, you know your particular kinds of strengths, you know, some people you know, are teachers, some people are, you know, um, writers, you know, different things like that. Some people are organizers or, you know, scientists, scientific researchers and so on. Do you have any sense of where you might ideally see yourself after you've completed your PhD work and any immediately following postdoc work, for example? What, where you see your sort of talents best used? Do you have any sense of that? Oh, I'm a writer, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm not. Um, definitely not moving towards the academic um, track because I believe that this um, field and these, you know, the the world is moving, you know, in many ways too fast for systems to keep up with right now. Too fast for, certainly too fast for academia to keep up with. Mm. Um, and, and truly, um, you know, the, the real work is in, is, you know, on the ground with the plants, with, you know, people who are working with the plants um, and, and, and not sort of trying to keep up and, and in the knowledge-based way, you know, it, it has to be keeping up in a way that's, that's intuition-based, that's story-based, that's interactive and engaged. And, um, you know, I feel that that's, you know, language can do that, um, but academia cannot. Hmm. Very interesting point, point of view. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, 
so uh, I, <clears throat> I'm assuming that probably the great majority of people who are going to watch this or listen to it don't know much at all about Huachuma or San Pedro. It's becoming better known, of course, up in North America, and more people have tried it. But, you know, compared to, say, ayahuasca, my guess is, you know, for every thousand people that have uh, that have had experiences with ayahuasca, there might be 10 people, you know, that have uh, worked with San Pedro up in this area. So um, I'd like you to, if you don't mind, make this a bit of a, a primer or educational uh, se segment as well by talking a little bit about, you know, the, the history, for example, like how it's been used is, and, uh, you know, what's going on with that. And, and then let's get into a little bit more about the, the actual plant. And, uh, you know, it's very inter interesting to me that you talk about different spirits and that, but you also mentioned before we got on here something about it um, being uh, incredibly unique that was your words within the psychedelic plant community so to speak so but but that's kind of two questions maybe so would you talk a little bit about uh the historical uh, record so to speak or what we know about the histor history of Huachuma or San Pedro sure um so you know if if we talk about the history of the plant itself it's much older than human history um and we it's not written down, so we you know we don't know what the plant was doing for those millions of years uh, before we showed up. Hmm. Um, but um, people showed up in the Andes about um, fifteen thousand years ago, um, which is incredible—twelve to fifteen thousand years ago. Um, and uh, we see San Pedro show up in the archaeological record about four thousand years ago um, with a lot of regularity. So it's it's absolutely incredible to to look at these early representations of San Pedro and what was happening um, in the culture at that time because you know you had these sort of very nomadic societies with very little um, you know they were creating very little art they were fairly small populations moving they were you know pastoral um, and and there was you know appears to have been a lot of conflict. Um, and then something happened about 4,000 years ago um, where all of this art and culture just started flowering, just started showing up and, um, you know, irrigation, um, this incredible, you know, network of, of water canals and irrigation started to show up. Um, you know, people settled down um, into societies and um, started building these incredible civilizations. And, um, you know, agriculture started happening, um, you know, as it did independently in several parts of the world. But concurrently with that, we see San Pedro showing up. Um, and so the, this, um, the most remarkable culture of that time was called Chevin. Um, and it's, it's just this, this astonishing, um, astonishing culture that made so much, much art and, um, you know, just these incredible advances and, um, you know, very little, we see very little evidence of war happening uh, in this culture. So it's, it's, it was sort of this impulse, this Chevine impulse that swept, you know, 2000 kilometers south to north of the Andes um, and, and united it into a single, um, you know, network of religious pilgrimage. So this culture was based entirely on, on religion and appears to have been based entirely on um, religion around San Pedro. Um, so, so it's, it's just, um, you know, if we look at that culture's art, we start to see a lot of, of what San Pedro shows us. It's very visionary. It's very, um, body-based. It's very sensual, um, sensory, um, you know, you have all of these mythical figures of humans transforming into jaguars, into eagles. Um, into dragons and serpents. Um, and so it's just this, this um, like transmogrifying, like incredible um, collection of culture. Sorry, somebody's knocking on my door. Um, <laughs> it's so, like there's a lot of action around there. I, I can't tell. I, I just want to let folks know um, in case, uh, you know, they're, they're, well, they're hearing, if they're hearing what I'm hearing, they're hearing a lot of other sounds here besides Laurel, Laurel's voice. And I just want to let people know that 
you know, she's in rural Peru, and they've had floods and landslides recently, which have messed about with, you know, signals and internet and all that kind of stuff. So please bear with us. Uh, I can't tell whether some of this has just been, um, you know, digital stuff, or it sounded like there were dogs barking at one point. Were were those digital dogs or real dogs? (laughs) They're they're real dogs. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that that that's fascinating to me. This whole you know bit that I've gotten from you, and I've seen it in a couple of other places too. On the Chavine culture, it kind of it's almost create for me personally. You know, who cares about me that way? But uh, it kind of almost creates in me um, a longing, you know, to live in a culture that seems to be, you know balanced, I guess you might say, you know, surely there's a lot more, you know, ups and downs and nuances to what that was, that time was like, we don't have proper records of what it was actually like, but the evidence that you've come across and others sort of indicates, uh, you know, that um, spirituality, like genuine, you know, uh, empirical, if you will, uh, spirituality uh, was central uh, to that time and place, and uh, that there was a lot of balance. Hmm? That word balance that you use um, is so important um, mm-hmm. because, you know, that's that's exactly what we see in Shavin. The, you know, the major temple site for this culture was located at the confluence of two rivers. Um, and, you know, you go up the stairs into this temple and one half is black and the other half is white. Um, and there's, you know, this massive pillared door and you've got black on one side and white on the other side and you go in and it's like these serpentine tunnels um, that sort of labyrinth under the earth. Um, you know, these very small intimate spaces where it's believed they would have, would have been drinking San Pedro. Um, you know, the sounds of the rivers with the, um, you know, with ancestral instruments made of conch shells. Um, it's, yeah, it's th- this concept of balance, you know, we see this, this balance in between duality um, continuing even to the present day and the altars that, um, that curanderos, shamanic practitioners here, um, use in relationship with the plant. Um, you know, they, they sort of set up this duality um, between the wild and the domesticated, between the, the masculine and the feminine, but between the, um, the old and the new, um, you know, between sickness and health, and um, and the plant, the plant sits uh, on the altar at the center of these two fields. Um, so, you know, many people have have said, and and it appears to be the case that that San Pedro is um, is very involved in in balance in the in the not so much the transcendence of duality. Um, you know, I'm very suspicious of this idea of transcendence actually um not so much the transcendence of duality as the as the complementary um relationship of of duality of the two um you know of the interaction between the two creating creating life itself yeah fascinating yeah i think um you know when i hear people use the term non-duality they're not necessarily talking about transcendence depending on how you exactly define the word transcendence uh, they're maybe talking about the recognition that that we are all one that you know that we are not separate you know that the the ego is a buddhist would say an illusion but that's another story Chris Beige, uh, who's w- written the wonderful book LSD and the Mind of the Universe, uh, has told me he's suspicious of what he calls the up and out spiritual mm-hmm. technologies. You know, um, me so. too. And you know, it's um, it's you know we are you know we're I think the mind only works in duality, and that you know that any form of love is non-duality you know non-duality is not something that you know you take six gram of mushroom, grams of mushroom and then blast out of blast out of reality um you know you, it's it's any time that there's love there's non-duality um yeah. and i think that's very much the case with san pedro you know it's it's not a sort of a shooting out of the the body shooting out of material reality as a sinking into material reality into you know material matter mother into into sinking into the heart um and and the sensations of the body and and all that this incredible human 
existence can do and all this, you know, this, this body and this organism, um, you know, are, are so full of potential for, for beauty and change. Um, and, you know, in my experience, San Pedro just doesn't have anything to do with this idea of, you know, of enlightenment, of escaping from, from the body. It's, it's very much about sinking into the body, learning from the body. The body is a compass. Um, you know, our bodies as compasses, you know, and the fact that, you know, every being that has ever lived is right here in the soil underneath our feet. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, when people talk about ego death um, with psychedelics, I don't, that, that model does not resonate with my experience of San Pedro. You know, we're not, we're not trying to shatter the ego. We're trying to build a better one. We're trying to, you know, become better beings. Um, you know, we're not sort of disappearing into this, this, you know, idea of mysticism or enlightenment, you know, we're, we're getting up the day after ceremony and doing the dishes because the kitchen is dirty. Right. Uh, well, I think the, um, you know, the wisest of the wise have under have always understood that that's actually what enlightenment is. It's, it's, you know, being fully here and present, right. And not, you know, out of the body or gone somewhere else or something like that. In fact, there's an old, you might have heard it, there's an old Zen saying that, uh, you know, before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water, and after enlightenment, chop wood and carry water, right? So it's, you know, it's, 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 you know, the, the, it depends on how you use those terms, but, you know, I think um, the, the, the real meaning or value of understanding anything related to this notion of enlightenment is just, um, and, and and this comes back into ego too. When, when you know, when you say it's not about, you know, kind of, <clears throat> you know, getting rid of the ego. I think it's, as I understand it, I'm you know, certainly wouldn't say I'm enlightened to, to say this, but uh, um, the problematic aspect of the ego is the ways in which we um, stop energy in a sense and block ourselves and live within a narrative that protects us you know, from the full exposure to the rough and tumble of life, so to speak. And ego dissolution, in my understanding, is relaxing out of that to become more present, not more otherworldly or something. Anyway, that's a whole other sort of philosophical I, discussion. Um, no, no, I, I agree completely. And it's very much related to sort of this um, idea that a lot of people have this, you know, what happens with psychedelics happens in the brain, um, you know, I think um, a lot of people are learning with ayahuasca that's, that that's not the case. And, you know, with San Pedro and peyote and these, you know, incredible visionary plants of the Americas that, that you know, and elsewhere, that that's it's simply not the case. I mean, if we talk about the fact that they're working on the serotonin system, um, you know, an enormous portion of our, of our serotonin is actually produced in the gut. You know, if you're talking about the central ner the nervous system, you know, we have a bundle of nerves the size of a cat's brain in our heart, the size of a dog's brain in our in our stomachs and our in our guts. And you know, this these these plants and particularly San Pedro is, you know, is a very whole body experience, a very sensorial um, you know, experience that doesn't have much to do with thinking. That's, you know, you really um, you know, feel the plant moving through your body, through your blood, through your bones, um, and working in, in a way that um, does not have a lot to do with Western concepts of health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, your description of, of the effects of uh, San Pedro sound similar to um, my experience with uh, the peyote cactus, which also has mescaline in it. And, that experience is within the Native American church where I used to go for about a dozen years to probably uh, three dozen or so of their um, all-night peyote prayer ceremonies. And uh, <clears throat> there's a occasionally they would, people would talk about, um, you know, visions, you know, beyond the human, so to speak. Uh, um, but for the most part, um, it was uh, a communal experience around a fire with a shared prayer and uh, eyes open most of the time and it was about kind of what you're saying like connecting with the heart as much as anything you know connecting with your own wisdom uh, and that you know quote-unquote hallucinations are potentially even a distraction and I've even heard that from some of the some of the more um, I would say wise 
ayahuascaros that uh, that sort of those brilliant visions and geometric patterns and all those kinds of things that people see or some people say are just really the ante room into the the real space where you're connecting with the spirit of the plant and the teachings of the plant itself so um, uh, you've kind of answered a question that we were going to head toward anyway but maybe there's a bit more to say about it which is this uh, notion of uh, Huachuma or San Pedro being incredibly unique and so is there more you can say about how it differs from say ayahuasca for example because uh, you know taking ayahuasca as a particular example as, as a plant that's uh, almost ubiquitous on the planet now um, can you have you already said have you already said what you want to say about how it's unique or do you want to add some more to that oh more or less yeah I mean and you nailed it um you know, talking about the peyote ceremonies that you've um, taken part in, that, you know, it's not about closing your eyes and getting really quiet and putting on the blinders and putting on the music and, you know, as, as a lot of people are doing with mushrooms now, um, it's, it's a very social medicine. It's a very, um, it works with groups of people in incredible ways um, to, um, to, you know, he, it, it organizes people. Um, in, in ceremony and, and just brings this incredible sense of love and human connection uh, and, you know, connection with the more than human as well. Um, you know, I could, I would almost say that San Pedro more than anything is about relationship, um, relationship with other humans, relationship with the more than human, with, with nature, with water, with fire, with earth, with air. Um, you know, it's not it's it's it exists entirely you know in this this space in this relational field and this space of relationship um you know and and that's something that we see you know connecting incredibly beautifully to andean concepts of health you know in in the andes um you know people um communities um you know are organized they're you know communities i use um, they, they see, you know, individuals sort of differentiating themselves, arising from this shared field of community rather than, um, you know, individuals coming together to form a community. It's the community that's the unit um, and, and the people who arise out of that and the llamas who arise out of that and the, the grass that arises out of that. Um, and so it's, it's this very um, collective force, um, you know, that, that individuals differentiate themselves out of. And even the concept of the body um, in many places in the Andes is patterned on a mountain. You know, um, the, that, the summits of mountains are often called umapacha or head place, um, you know, whereas the valleys are seen as the feet and the legs. Mm. Um, and the, you know, the sort of the agricultural mid zones where they grow potatoes and, and a lot of the food are the, are the stomach or the torso. Um, and so, you know, we see sort of this, you know, the rivers are, are, are literally seen as the blood of Pachamama, um, you know, the, the earth as her, as her body, um, you know, nobody digs, you know, a trowel into, you know, into their field without first blessing it, without, you know, planting flowers with the potatoes, um, you know, without um, making offerings to the land, but the land is a body. Um, and so how could San Pedro work only in the head when, when the human body is, is the same as a mountain and the feet are the same you know, as, a, as a river? Uh, so that makes me wonder how, what's, what is the current, well, okay, so it's a two-part question. Um, it's, it seems to be very easy to grow, so I'm, I'm, my guess would be that sustainability isn't a huge problem, but you probably know something more about that than I do. But also, I'm curious, what, what, what kind of uh, use is, is it being put to in Peru, and how widespread is it now uh, as a, down that way as a, um, a spiritual healing medicine? Yeah, so a lot of the, um, for the most part, People, tourism, tourists who come to Peru to drink San Pedro, go to Cusco, go to the Sacred Valley. Um, and San Pedro, medicinal San Pedro does not grow there. Um, it's not the climate. Um, it doesn't grow well there. Um, there are related plants. Um, there's higanton, um, which 
you know, is very, very, very low in mescaline, you know, you're going to drink it and throw up. And that's, you know, that's the end of it. Um, where we really see um, this whole relationship is in North Peru um, now, and that's continuous since the conquest. Um, but um, I'm sorry, what was you were well, I'm asking for? you two, oh, essentially sorry. two questions. One, like the sort of uh, physical uh, sustainability, so to speak, of it, and also you know what you know how widespread is its use among Peruvians these days? Yeah, so the northern Peruvian healing cult that has to do with San Pedro is incredibly um, um, well known uh, in Peru and and afar. You know, there are people come who come from all over South America to work with maestros with San Pedro in North Peru, in Cajamarca, in Chiclayo, in Trujillo. Um, and so, you know, what we see is that, you know, they're the ones who really know these maestros in the north, you know, they're, they're the ones who really know what's happening with the plant. They're the ones who really know how to work with the plant's energy. Um, you know, these mestizo healers in the north, and yet, you know, the tourists are going to Cusco, where a lot of white people are working with the plant, where, um, you know, the indigenous Keros people are, you know, doing the wonderful thing of, of beginning to use the plant again just in the last two generations um you know so that's really wonderful but you know the real um lineage of use is in the is in north peru so um when we talk about cultural sustainability um you know a lot of those you know if people really want to meet the plant and if you know you know we, we, we want to see some of that recognition and and tourism going towards towards the Northern maestros, you know, the ones who really know. Um, so that's the cultural, sort of cultural sustainability um, front. Um, the physical sustainability of the plant, the biological sustainability um, in the last 10 years is going downhill a lot. Mm. And this does a lot of sense because, I, you know, as I've told you before, Stephen, um, these, these plants grow, you know, they grow a meter and a half a year, every single head, you know, grows, or sorry, not a meter and a half, a half a meter, a foot and a half a year. Um, you know, so they, they grow incredibly fast and, and, you know, faster than almost any entheogen that we know about, except perhaps mushrooms. Um, so they don't have this very slow growing um, problem the way that peyote and ayahuasca do. Um, but, you know, and so you'd think that we'd be fine. They're very easy to cultivate. You'd think that everybody would take their San Pedro from their own garden, um, you know, and be planting in their own garden. Um, but actually what we see is that um, these, their companies, their individuals, their, um, you know, many, many illegal export companies that are, um, you know, going into communities and paying just, just nothing, paying very, very little dirt cheap prices to get the community to cut their plants, because what are the plants, you know, what are the communities going to do with the plants? They've lost a lot of their relationship with San Pedro in the last 500 years. Um, so, you know, it's it's becoming a big problem and Peru um, governmentally is just, just now starting to regulate um, the movement of San Pedro, re regulate the harvesting of San Pedro. Um, which is wonderful, except, you know, it's, it's, it's not really being enforced. And, um, you know, there's, there's sort of the wider problem of, of cultural sustainability and the fact that the people in the communities are not recognizing the value of this plant as anything more than, you know, here's, you know, a massive, you know, plant that's probably 40 years old that I'm going to hack to pieces and sell to you for, you know, a dollar a kilo. Or, sorry, a dollar a head, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. a, dollar, a dollar a dried kilo, which is just devastating. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, um, you know, that's where a lot of my energy has been going over the last few months is, um, you know, really inquiring into what, what do we need to do on a sustainability front to make sure that these wild populations of San Pedro survive, because, you know, we can plant San Pedro in our gardens all day. It's incredible medicine. It's um, I would argue it's more, you know, having relationship with the plant in your garden, giving it love every day, giving it water, um, 
you know, understanding how the plant cycles and grows um, is as great a medicine as drinking the plant. And that if you're drinking the plant and you're not growing the plant, you don't understand the plant. Hmm. Um, but these these wild stalks of San Pedro hold the memory of millennia of of San Pedro, you know, relationship with that land. You know, these these incredible wild fountains of of energy of of relationship. Um, that exists in these wild stalks of San Pedro cannot be allowed to be decimated. Um, yeah. Thank you for saying that. Very important, obviously. Um, yeah, wonderful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, well, there's so much more I want to ask you about. Um, and this is a slight left turn from where we were, but you made reference a little while ago to um, the, uh, uh, and the, 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 there's a big difference between the Andean uh, understanding, uh, cosmological understanding, so to speak, of uh, of what health is to the so-called quote-unquote Western world or the you know modern urbanized technolog technologized world's understanding of health. Uh, could you elaborate on that a little more, please? Sure. Yeah. Um, health and the Andean understanding is not individual human health. It's not like this imaginary skin, you know, this epidermal imaginary that we have, um, you know, that we're somehow these like little capsules packaged in plastic, um, you know, the way to meat and fruit in the grocery store. Um, you know, there's, there's this, you know, the Indian concepts of health recognize that the human is uh, in constant flux with everything, everything, everything around us. Um, so, you know, the, the human, um, you know, a human cannot be healthy if the mountain is poisoned. Um, you know, and likewise, the mountain cannot be healthy if, if the human is traumatized. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's, it's seen as this, you know, this flow of energy. One, I'll give you an example, um, which is quite um, interesting, which is the one of susto, um, or, you know, we would call it um, fright or trauma in English. Um, they actually see, um, you know, many, many healers see this as, you know, emotional fluid gets scared out of the body. Like life force actually gets expelled from the body when somebody's afraid and you're traumatized. Um, and so in order to retrieve the lost life force, um, you know, many times it's an offering to the river to, to bring back, you know, to, to cleanse the, the, the difficult energy away and to bring back the the lost life force it's seen as this um you know you you lost some fluid in your body through this experience of trauma and now you have to go to the greater pool of energy that is nature that is um the river the mountain the the pachamama the origin um where to get if um, it doesn't happen we're not we're not a closed capsule um, you know, you don't um, just change your beliefs and get better. It's, um, hmm. you know, it's this very body-based interaction with the elements, um, with water, with fire. Um, air is seen as a fluid. Um, you know, there's, there's this, you know, there are mal aires or buen aires, you know, good, good winds and bad winds um, that, affect, that affect people, you know? They're not... Um, you know, we're not, we're affected by everything, everything around us because we are everything around us. Beautifully put. And, you know, as you say that, I, I flash on something that's occurred to me so often, which just seems out of whack, which is, uh, you know, for, for people of sort of what you might call middle class, uh, you know, lifestyles in Canada and the United States in particular, uh, you know, we're being marketed a lot with, you know, it's, you know, healthy food, organic food, supplements of all these different kinds, but they're all targeted at the individual in that sense as an isolated, uh, you know, so on. And the thing that, you know, I find so ironic is, you know, you go to the, the pharmacy and you get some, you know, health supplement and it's packaged in plastic that, um, you know, gets chucked, you know, more often than not. And, and I always think, yeah, okay, so they're focusing on the individual, but they're not paying any attention to the larger picture of what, you know, we're doing environmentally. Um, yeah, so thank you for 
putting that perspective on that. that that's wonderful. And, you know, as you say, said that about when you mentioned the river, you know, like a relationship, uh, it reminded me that you've also uh, pointed out to me in previously that another term for Huachuma is uh, Aguacoya or water queen and uh, that it has a relationship with with water and the water cycle and I gather that's related to what you were just saying but can you elaborate a little further on that? It very much is so um, in many Andean understandings um, and cosmologies um, the, um, the lifeblood of earth well sort of the, the origin of everything was this this co is this cosmic seed that circles the earth so it's the literal ocean and it's also this this cosmic ocean that if you were to walk far enough in any direction you you'd get back to this ocean um you know the inland version of that is is lake titicaca um in the south of peru the, this massive um you know one of the biggest lakes in the world and that's seen as the origin point from where humans arose so you know as sort of the heart if you will, of this cosmic sea. Um, the Milky Way is, is seen as part of the sea as well. The stars are part of the sea. Um, the, the under, there are all of these um, ideas about underground rivers which link all of the water in the world. So all of the water, um, you know, in any source, whether it's a spring, whether it's a creek, whether it's the ocean itself, whether it's Lake Titicaca or one of these highland lakes is connected with the origin of all things with this great mother sea um, that that encircles us all and so that's the same is true about the water in the body um, and so you know of course that's where the the notions of health come in but um it's seen you know all of these these this underground water this water that moves between you know that moves down in rivers that, that wells up in lakes and springs is not something dead, it's something alive. It's something that contains all of the life force of the ancestors. Um, so it's, it's, you know, when somebody dies, um, you know, when anything dies, it's the life force goes into the water, into the underground network of water. And so, um, you know, this, this word that's used more in Ecuador uh, than in Peru, but um, appears to be old is, is agua coya, which, you know, agua is the Spanish term for water, coya, uh, is the Quechua term for queen. Um, and, and, you know, if we look at, at the archaeological evidence, it appears that, that San Pedro was used almost uh, as this, this master controller of water. Um, this master, you know, um, a, you know, a plant that would bring fertility and wetness um, and moistness to earth that was dry, which is, you know, the entire coast of Peru um, that, you know, that would um, quell the water in places where floods were happening, you know, which happens a lot. You know, I told you it happened yesterday. There was a big flood up in Markawasi um, above me here. Um, and so the so San Pedro was, was sort of this intermediary um, and is in many ways an intermediary, a way for people to talk to water and say, please don't wipe our village out in the landslide. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and please, you know, our crops are dying, our children are thirsty, we need there to be more water coming down to this desiccated desert. Um, and so, you know, San Pedro is the water queen, um, to me is, is not only poetic, it's very deeply real. Um, you know, we see, you know, these almost 3,000 year old, you know, figurines of women, um, like hooded women holding the San Pedro, like welling up from their palms. There's one of um, a woman nursing a baby at one breast and nursing a length of San Pedro cactus at the other. So um, it's just this incredibly tender relationship with this beautiful plant who, this being who, who helps people get you know, what they need helps people, you know, as a mother would, as a queen would, um, cares for the people um, and, and, you know, it helps them extract the water that they need from, from the underground. Um, you know, and, and, and when I say water from the underground, I also mean ancestors. I also mean all of the power of the root systems of the ancient ones, um, of, of lineage, of ancestry, of, um, of the, you know, the dead beneath our feet. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, I could go on. <laughs> well, that was <laughs> that was lovely. I'm really glad you you shared all that. So, uh, excuse me, I got a cough a little here. <clears throat> um, um, uh, perhaps we're getting close to a time when it's good to wind this up. And so I would like to ask you a couple of questions uh, about where she and the cultural use of it are going. Uh, you had used the term with me that, quote, her time is coming. So what does that mean? How is her time coming? I think so far in Western culture, in Euro-American culture, that is to say, um, mostly in the global north, when we talk about psychedelics, um, we talk about sort of gaining spiritual knowledge. Um, and the, the beings that have served very well for us in, in the pursuit of sort of gaining spiritual knowledge of feeling like we're one with everything, of feeling like we're one with God, um, are mushrooms and ayahuasca. Um, and that, you know, certainly not that, um, that mushrooms and ayahuasca are not incredible um, embodied beings. Um, that, you know, that have brought us in every way to where we need to be right now. But that, like I say, San Pedro, um, you know, is the one who does the dishes, is the one who, um, you know, sort of gathers the world under its wings and says, here's shelter. Um, here's, um, you know, here's the beautiful way of taking care of yourself, attending relationship with yourself, with uh, relationship with other people, with relationship with um, with plants and animals and water. Um, and, you know, I, I, I feel that, um, that San Pedro is very applied, very embodied, and very connected to, to the day-to-day, -to, -day, to, you know, to what, what each of us does on a daily basis to to do our best to love the beings around us, to love the world. Um, and that it's, you know, there's nothing about San Pedro that's abstract. Just, you know, it's, it's, it's no longer, San Pedro brings a spirituality that's no longer an abstraction. It's no longer sort of this, it's not about ideals. It's not about concepts. It's about action. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think we've, as, as a global, culture, uh, if you will, we're coming to a place where we, we understand, oh yeah, we're all one. Uh, we understand, um, you know, that we're, we're not just bodies. We're not just bodies, uh, the way that we thought we were. Um, and now, you know, I sort of feel like a lot of us are turning back and saying, wait, but we are bodies. We are bodies. We are, and we're one. And that means we love each other, but we are also you know, separate self-determined beings. Um, and, and, you know, and that, that brings a lot of responsibility. It's the hard part, you know, it's not the, it's not the easy part of, oh, I've gained this spiritual knowledge. It's the, it's the hard part of, of integrating it, of bringing it back, um, of, of shaping our egos, which we need into something beautiful that, that tends to and, and helps the creatures around us. Beautifully put, again. <laughs> um, so that's a that could be a lovely way to finish up here, but I'm also wondering if, um, you know, so somebody's watching this or listening to it that would like to uh, be in, more involved with uh, San Pedro one way or another, um, either by experiencing it, learning from it, following its pathways, and or um, advocating for it in some ways or another, what uh, what would you say to people who, uh, or how they might you know enter further into a relationship with Wachuma or San Pedro? What would be your guidance or advice for for such people? Mm. That that everything that San Pedro teaches is contained in the way that San Pedro grows. So get a plant and plant it in the ground if you can and in a pot if you can't. 
um, and and watch it and and be with it every day and um, and make relationship. That's you know that's the most important thing. You know, in um, in North America, San Pedro Solo is an ornamental. You know, you can get it at Home Depot. Um, you know, and those you know that's probably going to be you know a very widespread sort of low medicine cultivar. Um, and, and there are certainly you know you can buy buy whole plants um, from many people online um, that come from specific places in Peru. Um, but you know the most important thing is just to be in relationship with the living plant. Um, and then you know I'll... microdosing San Pedro is incredibly profound. It's very um, you know I'm just this is an aspect of my research that I'm just starting to explore with people in Peru who are microdosing. Um, and it's a very, um, you know, it begins a process that, that you know, if you have access to some better in a legal way, um, it begins a process that can prepare you in an incredible way to take a full dose and to really work with the plant, really meet the plant spirit at some point. Um, you know, once the plant's inside you, it's, it's inside you forever. Um, and so, you know, any, you know, any way that you can be in contact with the plant's energy, um, you know, especially growing, you know, it's um, legal, um, it's beautiful. You can see the, the flowers on this incredible plant, <laughs> right above um, And it's, it's just a, an absolute joy to, you know, in, in Peru, the vast majority of people who have San Pedro in their gardens never drink the plant. They're, they say that San Pedro whistles when when a, a robber comes, when, when somebody's with bad intentions comes, they say that San Pedro whistles to alert you. Um, so mostly people, you know, in Peru plant it for protection um, and for, you know, to care for the home. Yeah, very interesting. So um, it sounds like um, what I'm interpreting from what you're saying, you know, to this, you know, sort of quote, Western world, so to speak, is that uh, the ways that you can use it are fairly flexible uh, as long as you have the right attitude. Like perhaps I'm guessing you could get together with a few friends. You don't necessarily need to have, you know, as long as you take a you know reverent attitude toward it and know what you're doing and know what your dosage is, uh, you, you don't necessarily need to have a guide or shaman with you particularly. What, do, what would you say about that? In low doses, San Pedro is not going to kick your ass. It's not, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to terrify you. It's, it's very, it's actually related to um, the, you know, the compounds, um, the compound MDMA. Um, so, you know, it's very euphoric. It's very beautiful in small doses um, with a small group. It's lovely. Um, but, you know, when people say that San Pedro is, is like softer than ayahuasca it's it's just it's not true it's it's not and and you know being in ceremony with somebody who has relationship with this plant over years who knows how to direct the plant's energy and work with the plants and it's you know take take you know for 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 real doses of this plant you know follow the same advice you would use with ayahuasca which is do not um you know, this plant is not soft. Mm, okay, good. Um, uh, with uh, both ayahuasca, at least in the Amazonian mestizo traditions, and with peyote in the Native American church, there's a long accumulated body of, well, varies from region to region and even person to person sometimes, especially with the ayahuascaros, but there are songs, uh, chant-like songs, ikaros in the case of ayahuasca and so on. Is, is there any extant um, body of material, that, you know, song material that, um, that, that, that people know and use within those communities, say in northern Peru, for example? Yeah, there's um, not to the extent that there are Icaros. Um, there are some songs called tar Tarjos, which are, um, you know, often very religious and the plants often used in Catholicized ceremonies. Um, so, you know, a lot of um, these Tarjos are sometimes used. The other thing that um, that curanderos use quite a bit is, is sort of performative language. So um, instead of saying, you know, I, 
I'm doing something, they say, I, I go, I go doing something. Um, you know, I, um, instead of estoy sanando, I am healing. They say voy sanando, I go healing. And it's like the words themselves become the spell, become the direction to the plant, um, to direct the plant's energy. Um, you know, San Pedro is incredibly um, connected with music and um, it's, you know, there's not, because the plant does not have a surviving pure indigenous tradition, um, you know, it's, 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 greatest cultural tradition is with mestizo people, urban people, um, you know, that, that survives today anyway. Um, there's there's not a body of songs uh, the way that there are Icaros, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a good inquiry to, to explore on your own. Yeah, well, uh, uh, <clears throat> I could have stopped, you know, with that uplifting message of a few minutes ago, we got back more into the detail a little there, but that's fine. I think this uh, feels like a good place to stop. I've, I've uh, more or less exhausted the kind of questions that I really wanted to ask you today. And so uh, before I say goodbye and thank you, I uh, just want to ask you, uh, are there any links of anything that you would like people to pay attention to? I can, as I mentioned at the beginning, I can put on little tiles, titles under the under the screen here for those who are watching this. And if they're listening to it, they'll just have to <laughs> try to listen carefully. Sure, yeah. Um, Instagram is the best place to follow me, um, at laurel.sugden or at wachuma.collective. So um, laurel.sugden, and it's spelled S-U-G-D-E-N, yeah? Or wachuma.collective. Wachuma, um, again, spelled H-U-A-C-H-U-M-A, uh, dot collective, yeah? Mm -hmm. Cool. Yep, and we're just uh, starting a newsletter for Wachuma Collective as well, um, which you're welcome to send me an email uh, to get subscribed to. We're... Um, you know, a lot of amazing photos of Wild San Pedro and updates on the research. So the email address that I actually have on paper here for you is laurel.sugden at alumni, A-L-U-M-N-I dot U-B-C dot C-A. Best one? Perfect. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for that, uh, uh, Laurel. I, I, I hope that uh, you're right. I imagine you are that, quote, her time is coming. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, as you know, as we both know, this is a time of great urgency for changes in con consciousness and changes in, you know, worldview, I guess, that put us back into balance. So thank you for doing your part. It's wonderful work that you're doing, in my opinion. And uh, um, and the way you do it, uh, if I may be modeling for a second, uh, your heart comes through as far as I can feel it. And so I really appreciate that your, you know, sort of intelligence and your heart combined to share these very important uh, messages and information. So thank you. Thank you, Stephen. And thanks for being the, the vehicle and translator, so to speak, to share so many messages. Yeah, you're welcome. And also want to thank your, uh, your soundtrack, your dogs. <laughs> About the dogs. They got excited. They definitely got excited, along with a few other things like a horn honking and someone knocking at your door. So you, we kind of had a soundtrack there, but you kept your focus uh, through all that uh, extremely well. So again, thank you for sharing all that. Thanks, Stephen.